This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Oncology Knowledge Into Practice podcast, where we discuss game-changing topics in clinical oncology with leading experts in the field. In this first series, we're looking at the relatively new class of drugs, the immune checkpoint inhibitors. This episode is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corp, who have had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. If you'd like to check out any of the publications that we mention in this episode, there's references and links for these in the episode notes. We're your hosts, Hannah Wilgar and Andre Grassa. In today's episode, we're going to consider the utility of immune checkpoint inhibitors specifically in non-small cell lung cancer, or NSCLC. To answer our questions on this topic, we welcome the expertise of Professor Martin Marek, who heads up the Department of Thoracic Oncology and is the head of clinical trial department at the lung clinic Großansdorf in Germany. But first, we'll spend a few minutes covering the available published literature. If you're already familiar with this topic, do feel free to skip ahead to the interview at the five minute mark. So, so far, we've discussed how to measure PDL1 and its more general role in immunotherapy. But what about the practicalities of targeting immune checkpoint proteins in the day to day clinic? Over the next few episodes, we will be looking at specific tumor types and the role of PD1 and PDL1 inhibitors in their treatment paradigms. This week, we're beginning with non small cell lung cancer, or NSCLC. In this setting, there is currently one checkpoint inhibitor approved for stage 3 NSCLC and three inhibitors indicated for stage 4 disease. These are dervalumab, pembrolizumab, atazolizumab, and nivolumab respectively. Now this particular tumor type presents a number of unique quirks compared to other cancers where immunotherapies are used routinely. Firstly, PDL1 status acts as a predictive biomarker, allowing stratification of patients to receive specific therapies. Second, the specific labels for each of the approved checkpoint inhibitors varies between regulatory bodies, preventing recommendations from being universally applicable. Finally, in patients with PDL1 expression levels between 1 and 49%, there are at least three different combination regimens that are recommended, with little guidance on how to select between them. According to both NCCN and ESMO guidelines for NSCLC, standard practice in NSCLC is to perform initial genotyping tests to identify if there is an actionable molecular alteration present, such as ALK, ROS1, and EGFR mutation. Where these are not found, the next step is to measure PDL1 expression. For those with a tumor proportion score of equal to or above 50%, Pembrolizumab monotherapy is recommended as a first-line treatment. For all other patients, first-line treatment may consist of any of the following. Pembrolizumab and chemotherapy, atazolizumab and chemotherapy, atazolizumab and bevacizumab and chemotherapy, nivolumab and ipilimumab with or without platinum-based chemotherapy has an FDA indication in NSCLC but is not approved in Europe. Second-line treatment expands the number of treatment options, with pembrolizumab, atalizumab, or nivolumab being indicated as monotherapies in this line. Overall, this leaves a number of unanswered questions surrounding optimal treatment selection and sequencing in first-line stage 4 NSCLC. With all of these different options available, how do we individualize treatment for specific patients? Should monotherapy always be used where indicated? And for those with high PDL1 expression, how can we select between different options? 
A number of patient level factors have been explored to potentially help direct clinicians towards specific regimens. To name a few, this includes performance status, bogginess of disease, and the presence of specific metastases, such as liver or brain metastases. Performance status has been used routinely to assess patients for frailty and suitability for more intensive regimens, such as the combination of immunotherapy and chemotherapy. Systematic reviews, such as Peng et al., and Shai Q and colleagues have demonstrated that combinations of immunotherapy and chemotherapy have a higher risk of high-grade adverse events in NSCLC as compared to checkpoint inhibitor monotherapies. This has led to some debate over whether the PDL1 status thresholds for monotherapy should be relaxed. For example, J.M. Pacheco's commentary on the Keynote 42 trial discusses that the results, which trended towards benefit regardless of PDL1 status, indicate that it may be worth exploring their use in more frail patients who do not meet the 50% threshold. However, as the author notes, those with performance status of 2 or above have been excluded from monotherapy trials, and as such, data surrounding the use of checkpoint inhibitor monotherapies in these patients is highly limited. Bulkiness of disease and the presence of liver or brain metastases are both poor prognostic factors, and as such, they may warrant more intensive regimens, even where a patient meets the threshold for pembrolizumab monotherapy. In addition, there is a growing body of evidence to suggest that the presence of liver or brain metastases may be able to direct between checkpoint inhibitors used. Papers by Funazo et al. and Sridhar et al. suggest that the presence of liver metastases are negative predictive factors for nivolumab and jovalumab, respectively. Meanwhile, post-hoc analysis of Keynote 189 and Impower 150 concluded that the presence of liver metastases at baseline did not influence either pembrolizumab or atezolizumab's superior efficacy as part of a combination of immunotherapy and chemotherapy, as compared to chemotherapy alone. In the absence of clear guideline recommendations or conclusive trial evidence, how should we proceed in the day-to-day -day management of stage 4 NSCLC? Joining us today to discuss this very decision is Professor Martin Reck, head of the Department of Thoracic Oncology at the Lung Clinic, Kossan-Storf. So, generally speaking, what evidence is out there to help clinicians select between available immunotherapy combinations in first-line NSCLC? Well, when we talk about the new immunotherapy and immunotherapy combinations that are available, in principle, what we have now available is the selection between a monotherapy, and we will speak about this later, uh, in patients with a high pd one expression. And the other opportunity is to look for a combination approach. Now, uh, when we look on, on the different opportunities for a combination, in general, again, we have uh, two or three opportunities. Number one, and this is currently the standard of care which we are using, uh, so we do have the combination of a cytotoxic agent, a chemotherapy with a checkpoint inhibitor, and we have seen that these combinations across different histologies and across different PDL1 expression levels have shown a significant improvement in efficacy compared to chemotherapy alone, and we have seen this for progression-free survival, but we also have seen this uh, for overall survival in a number of trials. And the potential regimen which we may use are either pembrolizumab-based chemotherapies in squamous or non-squamous non-small cell lung cancer, 
but we also have artesolizumab-based schedules with or without bevacizumab in non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer or in combination with NAP paclitaxel. A new opportunity is to look on, on the option uh, of an immunotherapy combination, which means a combination of different checkpoint inhibitors. We recently got in the United States the approval for the combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab in pdl one positive patients. Unfortunately, this is not available in Europe, but very recently we got a positive opinion from the EMAR for another approach to integrate the immunotherapy combination in our treatment schedule. And this is related to the Checkmate 9LA trial, where the patients received a short chemotherapy, two cycles of chemotherapy, together with an immunotherapy combination, the combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab. And again, we have seen a clear significant improvement in overall survival compared to chemotherapy alone. So in principle, we have the opportunity monotherapy combination of chemotherapy and checkpoint inhibitor and we have the immunotherapy combination either alone or in combination with a short chemotherapy. And the differentiation is either based on the molecular factors or on patient-related factors like tumor burden and tumor kinetics. Interesting, thank you. So what significance does pdl one status have? Should those above 50% always receive pembrolizumab monotherapy? And conversely, are there any people below 50% who may benefit from monotherapy? Well, when we look on the opportunity to use pembrolizumab as a monotherapy in pdl one selected patients, we have the very clear results from the Keynote 24 showing the improvement in overall survival and progression-free survival compared to chemotherapy alone. And we were able to confirm these results this year at the ESMO meeting now showing the five-year survival rates, confirming the benefit in overall survival. Well, I think the monotherapy with pembrolizumab represents a very attractive opportunity for patients with a high pd one expression. However, learning with this new instrument, we have also seen that there might be a group of patients who might not really benefit from this monotherapy or let's say, where the monotherapy alone might not be sufficient to overcome the tumor, even if we can state a pdl one expression of 50% or more. And currently, we do not have clear biomarker to identify this group of patients. However, what we do have in our gut feeling, what is our clinical impression, is uh, the impression that patients with a high tumor volume, with a high metastatic burden, with dynamic tumors, with active tumors, are more in need of a combinational approach compared to a chemo uh, to immunotherapy alone, even if they do express a pd one expression of 50% or more. The other question, what about patients with a pd one expression of lower than 50% is a very important and clinically relevant question because we do see a number of patients who are not in a good clinical shape for receiving a platinum-based chemotherapy. And of course, we would like also to offer these patients an active treatment. The problem is that currently we do not really have enough clinical data to support an immunotherapy in that group of patients. I think we need a bit more of prospective trials to get more information about the efficacy of a monoimmunotherapy compared to chemotherapy 
in patients with a reduced performance status and in patients with a PDA1 expression of less than 50%. Great, thank you. So looking beyond first-line therapy, immunotherapies feature indications at second-line, both for people who receive targeted therapy, such as an EGFR inhibitor, as well as oncogenic driver mutation negative NSCLC, who received chemotherapy-based regimens. In this setting, is there any available evidence to help select between agents? Well, when we look on the use of immunotherapies in pre-treated patients, uh, we, we have the key trials looking on the efficacy of the anti-PD-1 antibodies, nivolumab, pembrolizumab, and the anti-PD-1 antibody, atezolizumab, and all of these three agents, we have seen a significant improvement in overall survival compared to chemotherapy alone, which has been docetaxel in all of these trials. A differentiation between these agents is really difficult. Uh, there, there is a small opportunity related to the label. So pembrolizumab only is approved in pdl one positive patients in contrast to nivolumab and atezolizumab, which have been improved independent from the pdl one expression status. And uh, besides that, I have to say that the signal of efficacy really appears to be comparable across the different agents. Well, now looking on pretreated patients with oncogenic alterations, we are still in doubt whether there is a place for immunotherapy in the treatment schedule. So if we would like to use immunotherapy in this group of patients, we would use them for sure at the last line of treatment when we do not have any other active treatment available. What we have seen for this group of patients has been an interesting signal coming from the Empower 150 trial looking on the combination of chemotherapy, bevacizumab as an anti-angiogenic compound and the immunotherapy atezolizumab. And in the Empower 150 trial, pretreated patients with an oncogenic alterations were permitted. And we have seen a really impressive signal of efficacy of progression-free survival and overall survival favoring the combination of chemotherapy, atezolizumab and bevacizumab compared to chemotherapy and bevacizumab alone. So this could be an opportunity for pretreated patients with EGF receptor mutations, and in particular, the combination of the anti-angiogenic approach and the EGF receptor and the immunotherapy seems to be relevant for the efficacy of this combination. Wonderful, thank you for that. So do you have any final advice to our listeners on how to make these kinds of decisions on an individual patient-by-patient -patient basis? For example, should bulky disease or poor prognosis warrant combination immunotherapy, chemotherapy, even when monotherapies are indicated? Well, we, now we have a rich field of, of first-line treatment opportunities. And uh, I think we really have the relevant question whom to treat uh, with which treatment, which, with which therapy, or with which schedule. And uh, actually, the, the only predictive marker which we have available so far is the pd one expression. We looked on other markers like TMB, but they didn't turn out to be predictive of a specific immunotherapy or immunotherapy combination. So currently, we have the pd one expression in hand to select our treatment. And we have to look on the patient. 
Unfortunately, we have not not no clear clinical characteristics to design the ideal patient for a combination therapy. From our gut feeling, from our clinical expression, we do believe that patients with a massive tumor burden, that patients with a lot of metastasis might require a combination and might benefit more from a combination compared to a monotherapy. However, this is something which we also need to confirm prospectively in randomized trials. So currently we really have to rely on our clinical feeling, but if a patient comes to our hospital and if this patient does have really a substantial symptomatic tumor disease, definitely I would consider to treat this patient with a combination independent from the pdl one expression status. So thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Reck. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you very much to all of you to listen to this podcast. It has been a pleasure to think about the new opportunities of immunotherapy. And I think we might expect a big development in the upcoming months and years. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So to summarize, Dr. Reck's key points, adding pd one and pd one inhibitors to chemotherapy improves efficacy compared to chemotherapy alone for oncogenic driver-negative NSCLC patients. And while ICI monotherapy is an option for those with over 50% pd one expression, he says there is not yet enough evidence to recommend its use in patients with lower performance scores, and patients with high tumor burden or metastatic disease may still benefit from combination therapy. Again, if you'd like to check out any of the publications that we've mentioned today, you'll find the references for these in the episode notes. So the next episode in our immune checkpoint inhibitor series will be out in two weeks' time, and we'll be discussing the use of immunotherapy in head and neck squamous cell carcinoma. If you enjoyed today, please do subscribe and join us then. And if you have time to leave us a review, we'd love to hear your feedback. If you want more, you can also find free accredited continuing medical education modules on our website, onkit.com. And you can find a link to this in the episode notes. So please do check it out. If you're a Twitter fan, our handle is at onkit.